Thank you for joining. My name is Colin Better, and I'm ISACA's Principal Emerging Technology Professional. And joining me today is very special guest, Director and Senior Consultant, Samuel Zaruba, and he is here to discuss his recent article, Blockchain Smart Contracts. Samuel, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Colin. No problem. So let's get right into it. What are some of the main challenges of integrating smart contracts into legacy systems? Sure. Start with something that's maybe um, some background information first. Most firms that are Fortune 500 or even Fortune 100 are going to be made up of a very large amount of legacy systems. Now, if you're a small or medium-sized enterprise, that might not be the case. So from the, from the very beginning, you're going to have different strategies regarding you know, whether or not you are a very large company that's been around for 100 plus years or they're a new you know, medium-sized startup company, things like that. In terms of integrating uh, emerging technologies, this is called emerging technologies. Our articles primarily focus on blockchain, um, but the, the same lessons that we applied for a, a, a number of Web3 technologies can also be applied to other types of emerging technology. In general, understanding current, your current cloud architecture needs, if you have any, whether you're entirely based on-prem or you know, you're, you're involving some kind of cloud provider or doing some other kind of third-party cloud, whatever that may be, first recognize what your needs are there. So if you have a more centralized system already in place, if you're doing more on-prem things for privacy and security reasons, things like that, um, these might be good reasons to think about uh, what blockchain technology can offer for the enterprise. I'm not going to talk mainly about any kind of uh, uh, crypto space uh, type assets, things like that. You know, a, a lot of the, the startup type companies um, are, are not what our research focuses on. We do provide uh, uh, general recommendations to small and medium-sized businesses who are in more traditional verticals, um, who are interested in becoming involved or, or utilizing some of these emerging technologies like blockchain. Um, but in general, you know, most of these recommendations will fall for medium or, or enterprise level uh, uh, businesses. Now, the next step there is what types of benefits would uh, uh, these types of systems have potentially over more legacy systems and how would you integrate them with legacy systems? So. The integration part is much like any other software. It is not going to be um, radically different of other cloud, AI, Web3, whatever you want to call it, emerging technology. Understanding well, what the business needs are, where additional benefits can be had, and why you need those additional benefits. So if you need a privacy benefit, do you need a security benefit? If you're working with other close partners, you know, at scale on a, on a high cadence, very, very often. Um, these are the types of things you need to know before you can even make any decisions whether or not you, you want to invest time and energy into emerging technologies like this. The idea of immutability, this idea that uh, data feeds that are maybe going into a centralized system currently, is there a reason why this data is so valuable that having other parties maintain its integrity and knowing whether or not that integrity is, is vital to your, your underlying business, that's probably one of the first places you want to start. You'll see in, in the financial space, for example, 
a large amount of uh, the world's largest banks, really, and, and even government institutions are looking at technologies like this because they deem the security, the immutability of their information to be highly important, highly relevant. And then one of the last pieces I'll add to this kind of introductionary point is that you have to have a way to trust the folks you want to work with. So if you, if you want to adopt Web3 emerging blockchain type technologies and you're a small, medium size or even large size enterprise, you essentially have to be able to validate that whatever information you, you deem so important, you deem so valuable, you have to have a, a source of that information that is readily available on a, on a very um, high cadence or, or high availability, right? So you have constant new information flowing, things like that. These are the types of large questions to think about in whether or not you're even interested in the first place of this type of emerging Web3 technology. All right, so how should organizations change their structure in the face of changing market conditions? Yeah, so this is an important question, not only because we're coming out of a pandemic, um, but there's a number of economic recession, uh, globalization worries currently, right? Think about um, the, the, the time period we're in for, for global trade, things like that. There's a term that's, that's uh, emerging now um, that's more relevant to this topic that business leaders need to be aware of. Um, and that word is democratization. The trend of what, what or what trends executives need to be aware of um, and engineers, managers, really most folks um, who are you know, FTEs at, at major corporations or even small, medium-sized businesses, they need to wear this trend of democratization. And the majority of emerging technologies all involve this process. Um, and this is the process of new emerging technologies making it easier for everyone at all levels of the enterprise to do both technical and arguably non-technical work more efficiently and more scalably or, or, or have, their, have their work scale better. Um, so digging into what the democratization uh, uh, is allowing for, you, know, you can imagine a situation where there's some kind of new software tool and what used to take hours for an expert to do now takes a few minutes for an average person. This essentially is, is an example of democratization of where technology is allowing less skilled or less trained people to do the same work that it used to take a more expert person to do. And really executives need to be aware of this because it's gonna change the organizational structure. It's gonna flatten the hierarchy. So we've seen in a large amount of the tech companies right now who are downsizing, who are uh, having some sort of layoffs or things like this. One of the largest groups that's been hit with this downsizing has been mid-level management. Um, and much of the reason for that, uh, both in the academic literature um, and even if you look just social media discussions, things like that, has been this major cause of democratization, allowing executives and new employees who maybe have, or less trained, uh, who, are, who are not as not as subject matter experts in particular corporations to do the work that it, you used to have many years experience required to do. Um, so the flattening of the organization, the, the hierarchical change of, of the structure of the organization are all rolled into this concept of democratization. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, how should organizations change their structure in the face of evolving governance requirements then? Again, this kind of leads back to the current uh, business, political, economic climate we're in. 
um, where new regulations are emerging rapidly. We've seen uh, Web3, blockchain, crypto, artificial intelligence, data privacy, security, a whole sort of areas where uh, there, there's been a large amount of new emerging policies, both in the US, but also in, in Europe, uh, the UK, India, um, even countries where maybe we have less uh, uh, visibility to like China, uh, Russia, things like that. Because of the flux of regulation, the ability to have multiple skills becomes more valuable because you don't know what regulation is going to be tomorrow, but you want to make sure your employees are still valuable after regulation changes. So if, for example, if in the social media space, a particular activity becomes outlawed due to privacy or security reasons, you want to make sure that whoever you hired as an engineer, whoever you hired as a manager, um, whatever level, that they can take their skill set and apply it in the in the, the post-regulation world. So that when the new regulations do come out, their skill set is no longer, you know, it's not disregarded as, as not valuable anymore. Um, so the hiring aspects, what you're choosing in terms of what you you know teach or instruct your employees on and train your employees on, that becomes more important because you have to be able to adapt quickly and you have to choose people who maybe aren't as specialized as they were before. In a, in a situation where regulation doesn't change for a very long period of time, you see high amounts of specialization in the workforce. When you have large amounts of regulation changing constantly, more generalized employees who are good at many things, but maybe not specialized in one particular area, become more valuable. Yeah, that makes sense. So how will technology evolution impact workforce strategy development? So going back to the idea that democratization allows for less trained people to do more skilled work, you then additionally have the need for more generalized skills in the workplace. Much of what uh, has been documented, at least in theory, in the empirical data analysis that I've seen primarily coming out of either industry um, or industry-geared academic literature or, or top business schools in the US uh, and Europe have essentially said that this, this flattening of the hierarchy will become very pronounced. And we're even seeing this now with, with salary trends for things like the MBA. The degree of the MBA was at one time seen as a very large financial step forward for individuals. That is becoming less and less true. We're seeing the same way with the bachelor's degree at the college level as well, becoming less valuable over time and eroding and things like certificates and, and things like that becoming more valuable. So as the, the modern workplace, modern, modern workforce, um, becomes more flat, less hierarchical, and you have more folks at either the very tippity top in the executive level or at the engineering and analyst level, um, you're going to see that mid-level management area not entirely disappear, but become smaller. And so this process itself will greatly shift how you train your workforce. You probably won't need to train as much on mid-level management but you might need to be readily upskilling folks both at the executive um, and at the engineer analyst level more often. That makes sense. What are the best tactics to address business uncertainty during times of evolving governance requirements then? Different from the workforce strategy aspect, right? In the workforce strategy, it's the idea that you want more generalized skills, the, the broaden, you know, workforces that are maybe less specific, things like that, who, who can evolve with the times, things like that. From a business strategy standpoint, 
you essentially want to have that sort of risk in, calculated into your models. So whatever analytics, whatever, you know, uh, types of model, whether, whether they're entirely not database, whether they're entirely database, whatever they are, the uncertainty aspect of the policies themselves need to be built into the models as well. So if you're doing, say, traditional forecasting prediction, things like that, normally or, or in, in, in time periods where there's very little regulation change, you might be entirely database and be using very little outside data, for one thing, and additionally, not having any kind of theoretical estimates of the upcoming large shifts in the data. So, for example, you know, if, if you're doing financial forecasting or something similar to that, you might have 20 years of past historical data, and using that predicts the next six months or and you, whatever that may be, right? You might have some outside data as well. You might be incorporating, incorporating also things like that. In the times of high regulation change, you're of course doing that as well, but you're adding additional elements of we might have policy experts who can provide subject matter expertise on how emerging policy will impact the accuracy of our predictions, impact how we're going to back, back test or validate these predictions in some capacity. So it's, it's going to change the, the, the way you model risk within the enterprise. And you should be incorporating more of that expert level human knowledge and not be entirely dependent on data because the data is from a time period where the policy was different, right? And additionally, the policy might even affect what data you have available, right? If the policies change and social media changes, if finance changes, whatever the industry you're in changes, the, the data you have available might also change, which might also impact the, the forecasting you're doing, the, the risk analysis you're doing. So allowing for that, that human element to, to give good quality inputs um, across the enterprise is very important. Yeah, I agree. So what are some of the main challenges of integrating smart contracts in the legacy systems? One of the areas that I think is very important in terms of integrating smart contracts to a, a legacy enterprise is the concept of oracles. An oracle essentially is a integration point from an external system to the blockchain network. It's, it's, it's not necessarily the data source itself, but it is the, the layer of software or hardware, whatever it is, that queries, verifies, and authenticates the external data as being legitimate and being trustworthy in some capacity. The aspect of the Oracle that is the trustworthy aspect where it comes from the external source, that is extremely important because if you're developing a, a smart contract, very often you are opening yourself up for some kind of automation related risk that some other actor with access to your environment that has access to that smart contract could potentially you know manipulate the smart contract in some capacity so the oracle aspect better guarantees that who who or what has access to your smart contract system is trustworthy and is valid and you you have that security element to it this concept of oracles, and whether it's a software piece, a hardware piece, whatever it is, that concept needs to be well understood before the adoption of any of this emerging technology. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess, what are the most effective ways to work through some of those challenges? Yeah, so I, I can make some recommendations that um, are around what types of ecosystems, both small and medium-sized enterprises and large 
corporations should look at in terms of where they can go to get started without having to, you know, start from the very beginning. The notion of private permissioned blockchains, I, I think, has become more valuable since the FTX kind of uh, uh, disaster, however you want, to, you want to call that market disaster since November um, in the Web3 community. And it's gotten, I think, more media attention because of that. The, the open source blockchain private permission system was already relatively well developed even prior to this, but it has gotten a, a big kind of boost in the arm since uh, uh, FTX and all their problems and all the, the additional problems that happened after that. There's a number of large Fortune 100, Fortune 10, I think even, leading organizations that are contributing to open source projects that allow other small and medium-sized enterprises and other Fortune 100 type enterprises to test out and kind of test the waters in terms of what the benefits they see from these emerging technologies like blockchain smart contracts. And without the high levels of investment you would need from either a, a private firm who specializes in a single area um, or, or any of the high risk adoption of, of starting off with maybe a less well-known open source ecosystem. Um, so for example, uh, the Hyperledger Fabric ecosystem um, from the part of the, the Linux Foundation who, who manages that particular project. Um, open source uh, offerings like that, ecosystems like that, allow small and medium-sized enterprises in particular, and of course, Fortune 100 as well, um, to really understand the documentation behind what the benefits are offered from these sorts of ecosystems and what the risks are in terms of development timeline, investments you know, gone awry, things like that. Um, so, you know, understanding what, what open source potential solutions are out there is probably the first step uh, for any enterprise who's, who's primarily on legacy systems and who are interested in looking at what Web3 has to offer. So what are the certain keys in particular to getting the pre-implementation stage right? So understanding your architecture requirements would probably be a very important one. Let's start with an example that might be a little easier to start with. Imagine you're a SaaS software company and you're selling some kind of software um, to a variety of customers across the world, right? So you could be located in the US, could be located somewhere else, um, doesn't really matter, but from, from, a, from at least from an architecture standpoint, right? There'll be legal aspects, all this kind of stuff as well. But particularly from, if you're looking at a, a SaaS example, say you're selling software uh, to different customers who are located in outside your, your normal geographic region you're used to operating in. So for example, you might have you know, clients who are located on the border of Russia and China. You might have clients who are located uh, um, in a very dispersed geographic regions, you know, uh, not at all with easy internet access, things like this. So understanding your, your architecture requirements for a sale like that it is, is one of the important concepts to understand the benefits of these kinds of web free technologies. So I'm selling a piece of software you know, to, to this client, and I want to guarantee that this client is who they say they are, and they're not going to attack my system. They're not going to attempt to impersonate someone else to steal the software um, that someone else paid for. All these types of aspects of, of doing modern international business for digital software as your, your object that you're selling, or artifact that you're selling, that's a classic example of how does my, my digital architecture 
allow me to do this at scale and safely. And so these are the types of, of problems that Web3 might allow you to solve. And so knowing whether or not your, your data centers are on-prem, what cloud providers you're using, you know, what kinds of clients you have in terms of what architectures they're using, are they coming from you know, mobile devices, you know, what that, what that looks like in terms of that sales process for the entire data pipeline, those all become very important things to understand and know about prior to any implementation of such Web3 technology. So what do you think tapping into the IoT technology can make a major impact? Yeah, so this is actually one of my favorite areas. Um, again, I'll start off with a couple examples that I think really illustrate some of the um, benefits in, in both legacy organizations and small, medium-sized businesses um, with the interaction between IoT and digital smart contracts or blockchain smart contracts. There's a number of uh, uh, research papers, a number of uh, small business uh, white papers, um, other types of public information like that, um, that has been used to look at how blockchain smart contracts are most productive in terms of the industry itself. So for example, if you look at uh, organic produce or you look at farming in, in areas like rural India, which have large problems regarding equality and equity uh, around delivering farmers the funds they need in time to continue their, their production of produce and things like that, there's a large amount of uh, research and documentation at the successful use of blockchain smart contracts in this space. And let me explain why. One of the, the, the classic problems integrating non-traditional businesses, let's call them, small and medium-sized enterprises particularly, into areas like uh, uh, organic farming, produce, things like this, has been that the, the major players and major providers um, can essentially provide a level of trust that other providers cannot. Um, so if I'm a small farmer and I want to be able to sell my produce, my organic farming, whatever it is, at, at a, on a large market at scale, I have an issue of trust between me and my customers in that someone else who is a, who's a much bigger company who has already established that public trust, more likely than not, the, the customers are going to go there to buy their product. Blockchain smart contracts and IoT devices, including smartphones and things like that, allow small and, and, and medium-sized enterprises to publicly post some level of, of information that gives them a level of trust that they previously did not have with their consumer base. Now, there's definitely marketing problems with this as well. You know, how do you make sure that your customers know who you are and will come to you for your product? Um, but at least if you have a public uh, or, or some portion of your, your information is made public um, and made secure, average customers can go view this information and better guarantee that what they're buying is safe, consumable, and comes from a reputable source. And you can build that reputation far easier than you could without a, a potential you know, blockchain smart contract or other Web3 type, type technology. These are areas where you, there's a real need, right? We, in California, we've seen very similar things happen with organic produce there, um, where there's, there's obviously a, a production market that is trying to compete against large corporations who, who are you know, have, have advantages and have the first mover advantage in this space. Um, but these types of emerging technologies in conjunction with IoT, tracking 
individual items, tracking individual uh, uh, sales uh, uh, processes can really solve some of the problems that are across all of humanity and are not purely a, a problem that is seen, for example, only in the most industrialized of nations at the highest economic levels of wealth and things like that. You're really starting to see this conjunction of IoT and, and blockchain smart contracts be a viable solution for you know, much of the world at scale that wasn't available previously. So, so deep fakes, let's hop into that right quick. Um, they're kind of getting to a point where they're becoming alarmingly good. Um, so my question to you is, how do you think that blockchain and smart contracts and you know, possibly even NFTs are going to tie into you know, verifying that a video is coming from a, a certain person, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and because people are going to become skeptical basically on, you know, what is out on the internet. So sure. I, I'm just curious of your take on, on that as well. well. People are rightfully so skeptical what they find on the internet. That makes complete sense. Um, the areas of unique identifiers, you know, what's came out of the hashing science uh, in the last 15 years, of being able to take a video, a picture, you know, anything that's a digital object um, and apply a one-way unique identifier to it so that it can be differentiated from to the, what the human eye looks to be the same video, but, you know, it has been doctored in some capacity or, or as a deep fake, whatever you want to term you want to use for it. I think there's much more work to be done there, but I think there's a lot of hope in terms of this it's more of a, a media issue, right? It's more of a publicity issue, a popularity issue of the deep fake being released and having an immediate impact on the public and their view and, and causing some kind of panic or things like that. Because from a technical standpoint, it's, it's always a, a competition or a war, right? Between those who are creating the deep facts and those who are trying to identify deep fakes and things like that. Um, but I, I think we're still at a relatively positive place in terms of cryptography being still very useful for differentiating between real and fake at this time. With the rise, I, I always call it the, this new era of, of AI that we have going on right now. For you, what is the most exciting thing that you think is going to come? Or what are you most excited about within, like, we'll say, this year or like five years from now? And what is the, the thing that most terrifies you? Um, and what what do you see blockchain, I guess, evolving into in like a year to, to five years? Yeah. So in, in terms of the positives, um, I see a lot of positives potentially from blockchain in the social aspect. I mean, again, I, I'm, I don't particularly focus on crypto or uh, public permissioned, uh, permissionless chains, things like this. Um, I think a lot of the positives are going to be the fact that it's going to increase the competition for companies to be more environmentally, socially, and governance-wise uh, ethical and, and, and conscious um, because it allows for companies to create competitive advantages at, on an ethical level. Um, if you are guaranteeing that your supply chain is more eco-friendly, if you are guaranteeing that your carbon emissions are lower, it, you know, through uh, some sort of blockchain technology some, or some sort of smart contract technology, that gives you a competitive advantage that previously was hard to market and guarantee. 
Um, so in, in terms of uh, blockchain smart contracts kind of changing, especially the, the very top of the Fortune 500 type enterprises, I think there's a lot of positive aspects there around you know, guaranteeing more equitable pay um, for all demographics, uh, guaranteeing more uh, uh, ethical business practices around reducing fraud and reducing um, other sorts of, of quandaries that traditional corporations have had to uh, often kind of sweep under the rug because, you know, think about like the Enron scandal 20 years ago and things like this. These are problems that still exist within modern enterprises and potentially blockchain smart contracts and, and blockchain really in general has the ability to improve many of these problems and make them a competitive advantage for companies within can not only compete at what products they sell, but how they sell the product and what their impact is both on the environment and from a social justice standpoint is uh, to their consumers and, and those people who are not the consumer traditionally. So I think there's a lot of positive there in terms of emerging web free technology. In terms of uh, other positives, and you mentioned negative as well. Um, so I don't look at Web3 as purely blockchain technology. I think decentralized networks is probably a better phrase or term to use um, purely because much of uh, artificial intelligence systems that are in production at scale are also decentralized or at least federated in some way. Um, you know, the, the, the laws around data privacy and data security are of paramount importance to a variety of, of different industries nowadays, both in keeping their, their customers' data private and secure, but also making sure that any AI systems they build are not biased and, and treat people fairly um, and are not purely black box where the only answer is to the you know, underlying uh, uh, few users, right? If you have, hundreds or thousands of potential users or millions of users in some cases, um, in the cases of social media, but billions of users, having that uh, accountability of, of all decentralized networks, including AI systems, um, not only is legally becoming more important, but it's practically becoming more important as well. We're seeing the impact on other areas such as politics and economics and things like that. Um, in terms of the negatives, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm, I'll try to stay out of any kind of uh, uh, political analysis, but um, in terms of the negatives, democratization aspect I mentioned earlier, where we're seeing less and less of, of middle managers being needed for particular projects because of, you know, folks at all levels now can do some of the more technical tasks because automation is getting better, AI is getting better, development work is getting better, things like that. We've seen the, the new generative AI tools making coding, you know, here's a programming, however you want to put it, programming far more efficient, right? I think it was released recently um, by a GitHub news uh, newsletter that said, They've increased productivity for folks who use their generative AI, some of the Chen GPT development uh, uh, software, up like 56% uh, productivity and things like that. We're, you know, we're going to see more and more development at a more and more rapid speed, you know, potentially to, to the point where we even have uh, humans writing necessarily the code. They could be directing AIs to write the code, things like that. Um, the negative aspect will be this democratization of, of skills. You're, you're going to have increased equity problems or equality problems in society, because if you're a first mover and you have the advantage of being one of the executives, you might be continually pushed and pushed to have more technical skills, yes. Um, but from a legal standpoint, I really don't see the law changing anytime soon as far as how corporations are, are governed. 
And so you're going to have more and more corporations where they're going to get bigger in size, but the, the folks working at them are going to have um, less ability to climb the ladder, so to speak. Um, so I, I think that might be one particular problem within the corporate space is that you, you may have less of the ability to kind of start from the bottom and work your way up, um, which the, 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 the flip side of that is you might have more startups then, right? You might have more folks who, who want to start their own firms and things like that. So the negative might be, again, you're going to have less of these, you know, mid-level manager type type positions um, who, are, who are managing people and, and maybe doing at one time was more of a subject matter expert type role or job. But the flip side, of course, then you might have more startups, which would be, of course, be good for, for everyone. All right. Well, that's all I got. So as much as I hate to end this conversation, that's all the time that we have left for today. For our listeners, if you're interested in reading Samuel's full article, it's called Blockchain Smart Contracts. Go ahead and click the link in the description below. Again, thank you, Samuel, for being our guest. And that's it for this episode. I'm Colin Better, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you very much, Colin.